You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. The armor of God, let's get this. There he is up there, the soldier. And uh, Paul would look at him and he would see all the different parts of the, of the armor. He saw the belt and the breastplate and the helmet, the sword and the shield. And he thought, you know, that can really apply to the Christian as he comes to Jesus, that he needs to be prepared as he comes into the spiritual battle. And we are in a, in a spiritual battle. When we give our life to Jesus, the enemy doesn't like it. Satan doesn't like you. All right? And in fact, he doesn't want you to listen this morning, but I want you to listen because uh, he's already tried to intervene by nearly causing a flood for the place this morning. But um, we've overcome it, aren't we, in Christ? So we can, we, we, we're going to go stand forward. So if, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And as an intro, I want to read the first and, and look at the first few verses of this and then we'll start looking at the actual armour. I'm only going to look at one piece today uh, in the armour, but we'll, we'll come to that in a moment. In verse 11, he says, Put on the whole armour of God. No soldier, no Roman soldier especially, would go into battle with only part of the armour. He wouldn't go into battle without the helmet on, because that would be crazy. He wouldn't go into battle without the shield. He wouldn't go into battle without having his shoes on. And so as Paul looks at the soldier, he realises that the soldier has to have all the armour. And so he says to you and I, we need to put on the whole armour of God. Not just part of it, we need the the whole armour by faith putting this on. Okay, And we're going to look at each piece and what it means and so on as we go through the weeks. And then he goes on to say in, in verse 11... Stand therefore, put on the whole armour of God that you might be able to stand against the tricks of the devil. Standing meaning firm, solid on a rock. In other words, we're not going to be moved by what the enemy is going to throw at us. And, and the enemy is, doesn't do the right thing. All right? He doesn't run by the rules. In fact, he does the exact opposite. And, and Paul says, put on the armour of God so that you can stand against the wiles or the tricks of Satan. He's a crafty guy and he knows all about you and he knows all about me. He knows your strong points, he knows your weak points. And the weak points that you have in your life is the, the things that you're thinking about right now. And that's where he's going to hit you. All right. Someone said during the week that Satan is like a snake that has been decapitated, but its tail is still swinging around full of viper trying to do some damage, all right? But the head's gone. Or as Peter says, uh, Satan is like a roaring lion seeking him whom he may devour. But I heard someone say, but he's got no teeth. <clears throat> so the enemy's defeated, but he's still going to come against us and he's still going to attack us. But I love this next verse. Verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual weakness. 
when I first understood that, it, it really came to help me in my Christian life. Satan is crafty, as we've already said, and he's going to try and use somebody to affect you. And you know, if you've got a friend who suddenly says something nasty or acts in a nasty way, our first reaction is to retaliate against that person. But what Paul was saying is not that person, but it's the enemy using that person to get at you. Now when I realised that, it helped me. Because now I don't have to be angry at Joe Blow because Joe Blow doesn't realise it, but Satan is using him to try and get at me. Or Susie or whoever. So we can stand firm and we've got the whole armour of God and now we know who the enemy is. The enemy is coming at us, attacking us. So Paul then goes on to say in verse 13, Therefore take the whole armour of God that you might be able to stand in the evil day having done all to stand. The evil day is the day of temptation. And that can happen any time. Because the enemy doesn't come along and put a big sign up saying, this is a temptation. Because if he did, we'd be able to stand against him. But he's very subtle. And he usually attacks when you're at your lowest. When you're tired, when you're sick. And sometimes he attacks after you've had a big, incredible experience with God. There's a great story in 1 Kings chapter um, chapter 18. It's the story of Elijah. And Elijah uh, has brought all the, the prophets of Baal. The prophets of Baal, Baal was a, a false god. They called it a, a sun god. And, and these prophets were leading the people in worship. And they did some incredible, horrible, nasty things. They had um, child sacrifices and all that type of horrible stuff. And, and Elijah got these prophets up uh, and, and King Ahab up on top of the mountain and the people and he said, we're going to decide today who is the one true God. And he said, what we're going to do, we're going to set up a sacrifice, an altar, we're going to kill a bullock and put it on the top. And then he said to the prophets of Baal, I want you to call upon your God to send fire down from heaven. Now if your God does that, great, we'll worship him. But if my God does it, then we'll worship him. And everyone was in agreement. So they set up this big sacrifice and the prophets of Baal began to call out to Baal. Of course, you and I know nothing's going to happen. They're just talking to the sky and talking a piece of wood or a piece of stone. Nothing's going to happen. And after about two or three hours of doing that, Elijah begins to stir them up and saying, you better call out louder. Maybe he's asleep or maybe he's talking to somebody. You better interrupt. Um... Uh, and, and so they really start getting angry and they start cutting themselves and pulling their hair out and so he stops that and he says, okay, we're going to rebuild this altar and I'm, I'm going to do my job. So they rebuild the altar and they, kill the, they put the bullock on the top and there were, 12, there were four piles or four big buckets and he said, I want you to go down and fill them up with water and they came back and they tipped the water on top of the sacrifice. They did it three times, that's 12 bales of water. Now, especially those who go camping, you know wet wood doesn't burn. When I was a young guy, about 10, 11, thereabouts, we didn't have electricity. 
That wasn't because electricity wasn't invented. It was because we weren't close enough to electricity. I always like to clarify that because I said, surely everyone has electricity. No, we didn't have electricity. But we had a big wooden stove and my job was to bring the wood in. And this one night I, I thought, no, I'll do it in the morning. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I could hear the rain pouring down. So first thing in the morning before anyone got up, I raced out and brought in the wood and put it in beside the stove and didn't say anything until the person came along to try and light the stove. Wet wood doesn't burn. I had a saw behind for a little while after that one. Never did that again. And so here's this sacrifice. It's all wet, 12 piles of water, water's pouring in everywhere, and Elijah steps back and he says, God, I know you hear me at all times. Send fire down from heaven and... Boom! Down came the fire. The very next day, within 24 hours, there's Elijah standing before the people, choose you this day whom you will serve. Within 24 hours, he's running like a scared rabbit and asking God to take his life. Why? He got a letter from the queen. The queen said, I'm going to take your life just like you killed my prophets. And he relied upon his own resources and he took off. You see, the enemy attacked after that incredible Mount Carmel experience. And the enemy will come and attack when we have some beautiful experience with God. He'll come and attack us. So we've got to be prepared. And so Paul says, okay, he's going to come against you. And in verse 14, this is the beginning of the armour. He says, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. All right, let's have a look at this next one. The belt of truth. I thought about this. Why does Paul say to put on the belt that is the first part of the armour? Why not the breastplate? Why not the helmet? Why the belt? Well, the soldier in those days had a lot of undergarments. They wore like dress type of uniforms. And so the belt... He would tuck up all the stuff that he could underneath and he would tighten the belt and that would hold everything together. And he knew then that he was able to go into battle not worrying about anything. I mean, having a loose belt and part of that garment coming down would stop him from running or whatever. A tight belt is good. I discovered that. In 1998, I had the privilege of taking around 25 people from from Brisbane over to Tonga for a two-week crusade throughout the, the land. We went to school after school after school, the high school. We went in and, and told them about Jesus and part of the, the, the group gave testimonies and so on and so forth. And in the evening we would do services. And one night one of the group was a Tongan lady and she said, Neil, why don't you wear what the guys wear? You know the little dress that the Tongan guys wear? And I said, okay, I'm happy to do that. And I said, I don't know what they wear underneath theirs, but I'm going to wear a pair of shorts just in case anything happens. And they said, nothing will happen. We'll make sure it's all okay. So I put this little dress on and they did the belt up. And as you can see, I moved a fair bit. And as I was preaching, I felt the belt starting to come loose. So I stood still and finished off my message as fast as I could. And as I continued preaching and trying to finish off, I could feel the bell getting looser and looser and there were people in the front seat and I think they saw what was happening. There were great big grins coming across their faces 
And so I quickly got into our song and got off the stage and the ladies came and tightened the belt up again. A loose belt is no good. You've got to have it tight. And so Paul says, put on the belt, and he calls it the belt of truth. And as I thought about that, that's, that's important. We've got to have truth as a foundation for our Christian lives. You know, we can't live in fallacy, can we? We've got to be honest with ourselves. I, I gave my life to Jesus way back in 1959, and I was only a young guy. And uh, Billy Graham was the preacher, Dr. Billy Graham. He died a couple about a month or so ago, 99 years of age. But he was an incredible preacher. He went around the world. He touched millions of people. And one of his pet sayings was he used to lift the Bible up and he used to say, The Bible says! Always remembered that. But after Billy Graham left, suddenly all around the churches in Australia were little Billy Grahams. The Bible says! The Bible says! You see, they weren't themselves they were trying to imitate somebody else. That's fallacy. That's not truth. And of course, we've got to speak truth to each other, don't we? That's the foundation. No wonder Paul said, put on the belt of truth. Because the truth is what is going to set us free. Jesus said, the truth shall set you free. But you see, when we put on the belt, we really put on Jesus. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we put on Jesus. And when we put on Jesus, we then become all that Jesus is. He begins to flow through us so we live our lives. So when we go into battle, when we have temptations, when anything comes against us, we know in whom we have believed. You know that beautiful song we sang it last Sunday, actually? We know in whom we have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep us until that day. Jesus is the one. And this morning I want us to think about the things that we have in Jesus that keeps us. Here's another picture of a belt. All right? It holds the sword and everything else. The truth is Jesus. But when we put Jesus on, the first thing that we know is that we have been forgiven. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as I said, the enemy doesn't play fair. And he'll try and bring doubt into your mind. But if we know, because we've asked Jesus to forgive us and to cleanse us, we know that we are forgiven. That is a solid truth that we can hang on to as we go into temptations. We know because we know because we know because we know. And I can stand here all day saying that because that's the truth, isn't it? We are forgiven. It doesn't matter what doubts or anything else that Satan tries to bring against us. If we have confessed our sins, we are forgiven. It's gone. No matter where you've lived, no matter what you've done, the past is gone. You know, I was a prison chaplain for over five years. I shook hands with murderers and rapists and armed robbers and, and so on and so forth. But I knew the message that I could proclaim to them. I said to them, if you confess your sin to God, he will forgive you and all that is gone. No matter what you've done, it's all forgiven. 
and you're now living for Jesus. That's a solid truth, isn't it, that we need to know. But there's more. We are justified. Justified. Set free completely and totally. Justification means just as if we have never, ever sinned. Like Adam and Eve were in the garden before they fell to the temptation. And they walked with God in the cool of the evening. I I like that picture of walking with God in the cool of the evening. Now Steve's been on holidays and he's probably walked along the beach in the cool of the evening, letting the water come in and, and the breeze blow over him. We have been justified. All because of what Jesus has done for us. And Jesus wants us to know that. He says, put on the belt of truth because this is what you are in me. When you come into battle, you've got the victory. But there's more. Hold on, there's more. What's the next one? We are sanctified. Let me read a passage to you from 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, my translation says, which means a set-apart people, not stupid in the head, but set-apart. That you shall show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. We have been sanctified. We have been set-apart. When we started in the book of Matthew, we came and we looked at the Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. We bring the flavour because of who Jesus is. And it's all ours. We've got to know that. So we put on that belt and we tighten it so we can know the fact that we have been sanctified. Not only sanctified, there's more. We have freedom. Freedom. Romans 8.1 says, Now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan, as I said and have said a couple of times already, he's crafty. And he likes to be on both sides of the fence. On this side, he'll tempt you. And he'll bring thoughts into your mind and he'll, he'll be at you and at you and at you. And eventually, sometimes we yield. And when we yield, he gets on the other side and he says, look what you did. And he starts blaming us. He tries to be on both sides of the fence. But we have no condemnation. So when Satan comes and says, you fell, look what you did, look, look what you said. If we've confessed it, we can say, well, Satan, you can get lost because I am forgiven and I have freedom because Jesus set me free. And that's so important for us to know that. And I like the next one. We have been adopted into his family. I know a lot about adoptions. I have three children who are adopted, two of which were tiny little bundles, about a week and a half, two weeks old. And they came and they were given to us by the nurse and here they were. These precious lives suddenly became our children. Wow. Suddenly when I got my first adopted child... I became a father. And the responsibility of being a father to, to nurture and to train. And then the, three years later, we got our second little one. And about five years after that, we got a three-year-old and adopted him. 
adoption, moving from one type of life into the next. The three-year-old came from a horrific situation and now he's in our family. And all that's gone. And it's all new. And that's what God does to us. He brings us out of the world and he brings us into his family. Notice God never has grandchildren. He only has children. We are all his children. He's our daddy. And Romans tells us that we can call him daddy. We have been adopted into God's family and and we need to know that. We need to know that we are loved and appreciated because of what God has done. We sang that this morning. He did it all for us. Because that's who he is and this is who I am because of, of who Jesus is and what he's done for me. And I put on the belt of truth and I know who I am because I have been adopted into his family. Not only that, we are now a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We're brand new in Jesus. And you see, by, by knowing all of this, all this truth, it helps us to stand firm when the day of temptation comes. When the enemy begins to point his figure, we can say, yeah, I'm not listening to you, Satan. I know who I am in Jesus. I know that I am his. He's my father. He's forgiven me. I'm being adopted to his family and I have been forgiven. All because we've got the belt of truth on. And look, look at this verse. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing is now ours. Every spiritual blessing. You see, when we give our life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and we have all the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we can operate in. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc., etc. They're all ours. All because of what Jesus has done. All because we've got the belt of truth. Isn't that incredible? It's all ours. And this is only the first piece of the armour that we're putting on. And we've got another six pieces to go. Don't worry, we're not going to spend each service just on one piece. Next time we're going to look at more than that. But I really wanted to get this as a, as a solid foundation because we need to know who we are because the enemy doesn't want us to know that. If he can, us, if he can get us to doubt that we have been forgiven. You know, forgiveness is a, is a huge thing. I've talked to people many a time who, who said, yes, I can accept the fact that God's forgiven me. Yes, I can accept the fact that I can forgive someone else but I can't forgive myself. And I say, if you can't forgive yourself, you're really calling God a liar. Because he said, I've forgiven, I've cleansed you, and I've washed you. So we need to forgive ourselves. And as we come before God, and as we go out to be his 
servants out there in the world. And when the enemy comes and he starts to point his finger and accuse you, you can say, hey, wait on. I've got the belt of truth on. And I know the truth. And the truth will set me free. Because I've got Jesus. Because he's the truth. And I can walk with him and I know him and I can know that he won't let me down. But we've got to keep that belt tight. If we don't get the belt tight, all types of things can happen. As I experience. But you see, we walk with him each step of the way. The truth shall set you free. And as we go into battle against the enemy, we need to know that truth. Who we are in Christ. You see, it's not you. It's not me. It's not the Church of Christ. It's Jesus. He's the one who does it all. And we need to stand firm with him and allow him to be God. Allow him to Lord in our life. So we need to put on whole armour of God, but especially the belt of truth. So that means next week you've got to come back to hear what the next parts are because we've got the breastplate, we've got the shoes, we've got the shield, we've got the sword, we've got the helmet. And every part of that outfit, every part of that armour is vital to us to live our Christian life. But the belt is the most important. Well, I say most important, but it is vital for us to have that belt tight so then we can operate and allow the other parts of the armour help us and delete us. So let's just come before the Lord in prayer as we, as we finish. Father, we just want to thank you that you are the God of gods, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We want to thank you, Lord, that, that you've given us the belt of truth. The truth shall set us free. And Father, this morning we probably could add far more things, but we've looked at the fact that we are forgiven and Lord, that we have been justified, we have been sanctified, we have been adopted into your family, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Father, all that is ours. Help us to put on the belt of truth and to stand firm that we might be the people that you want us to be as we go forth for you day by day. Help us, Lord, to remember that we are the salt to bring the flavour to life, that we are the light to, to shine in a, in a world of darkness. Thank you, Father, for this armour that you've given to us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. And we'll get, amen. And we'll get, amen.